Welcome to From What If to What Next, your podcast of possibility, the imagination equivalent of your best friend who, noticing you've been a bit down recently, comes round and insists you join them out for a day of care, compassion and cake. We're here for you and we believe in your right to live an imaginative life. If this is your first time here, welcome. You're in for a treat, rummaging back through our archives. The great novelist Alistair Gray, who died in 2019, once wrote, Borrowing from Dennis Lee, work as if you live in the early days of a better nation. I love that. I want it on a T-shirt. So we do this because we love it. And we do this because it feels like the most natural response to the world around us. And we do this because you support us to do it. If you like what you hear today and you'd like to subscribe at www.patreon.com slash from what if to what next to support us in making future episodes, we'd be most grateful. Thank you. And so to today's episode... All of our previous episodes were, in a way, leading up to this one. We've explored many different what-if questions and unlocked many possibilities, and yet the gap exists in terms of what we know we can imagine and what then exists in society to meet us in the middle and to help us turn that imagining into a reality. I recently came across the term, through one of our guests today, of imagination infrastructure. Imagination infrastructure. I love it. And by the end of today, you will too. So let's imagine, and this takes quite a leap in Britain in 2021, I'll grant you, but stay with me, that we had a government who recognised that we're living through a time of imaginative contraction alongside a climate and ecological emergency, a social justice emergency, and so much more. And let's imagine that they were able to recognise this as the crisis it is, that allowing a population's imagination to contract is profoundly dangerous. And let us also imagine that they decided that they needed to put in place an infrastructure of policy, resourcing, approaches, economics and so on that created the best possible conditions for the imagination to flourish. What might that look like? How would it be to live in a world where that infrastructure was in place? And so our question on today's episode of From What If to What Next is, what if we built an imagination infrastructure? So let's meet our two brilliant guests who are going to explore this question with us. Panthea Lee is a strategist, curator, organiser and facilitator working for structural justice and collective liberation. And Cassie Robinson is a deputy director of funding strategy at the National Lottery Community Fund, where she's responsible for innovation, policy and practice and oversees the Climate Action Fund, the Digital Fund and the Emerging Futures Fund, amongst others. We've used shorter version of their bios here so as to maximise the time we have for our conversation but I will put links to their much longer bios in the text for this podcast where you can get a sense of the many, many incredible things these two do. So welcome both to From What If To What Next. Thank you so much for, for having us. It's really good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here um, and lovely to see you both. So I'd like to start with an exercise that we always do at the beginning of this podcast. I'd like to invite you both to get comfortable and to close your eyes and the same invitation to anyone who's listening to this and to imagine that thanks to my time machine that I've built during lockdown, we're going to travel forward to 2030. 
so that we leave 2021, we travel through the years in between and arrive into a 2030, which is not a utopia, but that it's the result of everything that could possibly have been done being done. And it's a 2030 in which we have an imagination infrastructure in place. It's been assembled over those nine years, now to a point where it's settled and established and really bearing fruit. And I'd love for you to take us for, on a walk around that future. Describe that to us. What does that world smell like and feel like, taste like and sound like? Can you really bring it alive? What it would be like to live in a world with an imagination infrastructure. Panthea, can we start with you? Sure. I see in this future, I guess coming from where we are right now, uh, the current conversations about racial justice, environmental justice, economic justice have really pushed us to fundamentally consider how we relate to one another and are with one another in society and in community in small ways and in big ways. And I see that children are taught about the histories of exploitation that have served very few and learned that the divisions between us have been manufactured to service the power and the greed of a narrow few. And so by learning about these histories and having mass consciousness, that doesn't imprison us, but it actually liberates us because I think we, we, we can then see how our heartbreaking histories of haves and have-nots you know, have have come to be. And so we're freed from these toxic narratives of a neoliberal world that tell us that our problems are our faults alone, that, you know, our exhaustion and our pain and our grief is a result of our own personal failures. But we can see the institutional uh, structures and injustices that have yielded these traumas. And as a result of that, we are propelled to change it in a fundamentally different way. You know, we can see that this level of mass trauma and of dissociation is not the future that we want. And instead of trying to find salvation through capitalism and to buying more and to wanting more, we're investing into ways of being that honors all of our humanity. We recognize that these narratives have kept us imprisoned and so we're moving towards uh we're moving into a way of being that recognizes that each of our dignity and our joy and our liberation is connected so what does that look like you know um i think 10 years from now we have canceled exploitative national debt so we're not paying you know countries are not paying sort of debt into wall street firms and we've canceled sort of exploitative personal debt everyone is paid not just a living wage but a thriving wage that enables them to you know, really live their full potential. We're measuring progress in terms of well-being and equitable well-being, so the happiness and the dignity of all of us, rather than just how much we produce and convince other people to buy. And when each child is brought into this world, they are seen as magical and lovable and a real miracle, not just by their parents and their families, but by everyone that encounters this child. And we can help sort of nurture all of the children. Our public spaces are full of places to gather and play with art that sparks our imagination rather than just ads that make us feel crappy about ourselves and more things for us to buy. And there's the sound of genuine, unabashed, boisterous laughter everywhere because we're free to dress as we want, love whom we want, speak whatever we want without fear of retribution and attack. And we're all just standing tall and whole in our humanity. Oh, glorious. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Cassie? 
I just want to be in Panthea's future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be in a parallel one that's linked in, in many ways. So if I were to take you on a walk through 2030, where I am now, with an imagination infrastructure that's been growing over the last nine years, we're much more connected and much closer and more deeply entwined, partly because we've actually been through a lot together. You know, there has been a lot of turbulence and a lot of things to overcome, a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of loss, but we have connected through that. And we've also found comfort and reassurance in being able to imagine together something different and the infrastructure that has been seeded over these nine years has meant that many people have been able to contribute to shaping a different future or different futures. The infrastructure has meant that nobody is left out. It's very invitational. It's very participatory. It really is an infrastructure that holds our interdependence and so when we haven't been dreaming or imagining in isolation and our dreams have met in the kind of collective consciousness and and we've been able to think and imagine something really different from where we were nine years ago and see that manifested and because we've sort of found ways to unleash our imaginations, our collective imagination, there's all kinds of amazing things happening here. There's a kind of queer cosmology that is just blooming out from everywhere because people feel liberated and there is a real freedom in who we are and, and how we can be together. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you both so much. And so I'd like to start, Cassie, with you, if I may. And I wonder if you might outline for us what the term imagination infrastructure means for you. Could you give us an outline of what it brings to mind, what it means for you? My normal answer to that question is I don't actually still really know. And I think I've probably said that to both of you in different conversations. But I think really infrastructure for me, it conjures up different words around care and resource and scaffolding but it's also it, it suggests long-term investment so when I talk about imagination infrastructure I am trying to work out what is it that we need to grow and resource around communities being able to collectively imagine together in an ongoing way over time. Like this isn't about just doing one workshop, doing some sort of imagination exercise. This for me is the soil from which so much more can grow. Even before we get to the kind of deliberative democracy stuff or the citizen juries or the many other ways that we might want to design participatory processes, we do need to take some quite big leaps in our imagination. And I think that it is a practice and I think an infrastructure can really help figure out like what are the spaces, whether that's literal physical spaces in the same way town halls might be used for democratic processes, what are the physical spaces that 
can really be used as an infrastructure for our collective imagining. What are the practices? How is it resourced? And how does it feel like something that is growing and strengthened over time and drawn on to really influence and shape different futures for people? Thank you. Um, Panthea, would you have anything to add to that? What, was the, what, what does the term imagination infrastructure conjure up for you? I also like Cassie's answer. Um, and I think our futures can just play together. Um, I really love the way that, that Cassie's thinking about it because I think putting the infrastructure piece on it too and thinking about how we build the, the scaffolding, the network, the investments and whatnot um, also then recognizes that I think structurally as a society, as a world, we have not, you know, not everyone has had equal access to infrastructure. Not everyone has felt the freedom and the privilege of imagining our world. And I think in many ways right now, the world that we live in and the struggles that we face are based on, and I think this is why I sort of, you know, go back to the historical education um, in my sort of dream future, is I think that they're based on the imaginations of a very narrow few, and I don't think we always acknowledge that. And so for those of us that say, well, you know, this is what we want the world to be, but we have no idea how to get there, it's because we haven't had access to these resources, to this investment. And so, yeah, I just really love Cassie's definition, and I think we both have to understand how to unlock the potential for those of us that haven't had access to these resources and the ability to articulate our imaginations in ways that, you know, can move the world, so to speak. I think that's really important. And then also, yeah, thinking about how to build the scaffolding, the infrastructure, the resources for that. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm, Great. And it feels to me like much of what we see in the world around us today acts as the opposite of imagination infrastructure, what some people call a disimagination uh, machine. I wonder how you would both identify the key things that are having an impact on the public imagination. Is this a good time for the imagination? Or if not, why not? Uh, Panthea. Yeah, I think in many ways, um, I, I always try to be an optimist. I think sometimes it can be hard in the world that we live in right now. You know, I think a lot of the things that we have working against us, there's kind of a question like where to start. Um, But I I do think that the media uh, and the narratives that we have been sold, I think they are very disempowering. You know, I think folks have long been told that world building, policymaking, whatever sort of structural change is something that you can't affect. And I think we know, you know, uh, big media is in bed with big business, in bed with big government. So say, you don't worry your pretty little head about this. We will take care of it. Your civic duty, your duty as a citizen is to just come vote every four years and otherwise we've got it. So it's no surprise now that A, I think, you know, in terms of how to shift the world and shift imaginations. Now I'm based in the US and there's so much energy and attention invested in electoral politics. It is insanity. There's sort of this vision of there is a savior that will save us and that savior is usually a politician or a billionaire philanthropist or whatever it is. And so I think that we are fighting against these sort of entrenched, very difficult narratives that will take time to unwind. At the same time, I also think that there is a lot of really exciting new ways of understanding how we resource ourselves, how we support our communities, how we build strength and power, not in the sort of traditional, you know, when we talk about powerful people, powerful institutions, 
We often talk about economic power, political power. Many people do not have that, but we're finding other ways of building power through networks, through tending to our hearts and finding the power in that, um, of finding ways to yeah, tend to our healing and our connection and our nurturance that I think are going to be sources of strength to push us through new ways of imagining and new ways of bringing these into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Cassie? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything that Panthea said. And also, I, I feel like the pandemic, I mean, obviously, everyone's had very, very different experiences and, and will continue to in terms of its impact but it has really shaken things. And I'm interested in what can come through those cracks that has to be done acknowledging those that are really in very difficult places. So I, how do we create the spaces where people that are really suffering and are really afraid and are really living in very difficult circumstances can be really difficult to talk about and create spaces around anything but the immediate present and I don't think I have I don't think I know quite how to do that yet at all but I am I'm really interested in what I'm thinking of around like almost like a rewilding of ourselves too I feel like people have been able to start to connect more I mean this is very very western view but have been able to connect more again with nature and appreciate being outside. And if that was one of the cracks, I feel like there's something about as patterns of work maybe change, if the way in which we work changes and actually even the idea of work being however many hours a week and, and that gets reduced because there's actually less work, like how will that create more time and space for some, you know, for some people to rewild themselves? I'd love to get a sense from you both as to if you had the freedom and the budget to change whatever needed changing across the board in order to rapidly build an imagination infrastructure, what would, what, what would you do? Where would we start? Particularly, you know, if we're looking at something, as you've both said, that needs to be uh, very inclusive and, and really meet the needs of, of, of everybody, where do we start? What are, the, what are the building blocks of a good imagination infrastructure? Um, Panthea? I tend to, uh, so my background is as an ethnographer. So for me, if you ask an ethnographer, I think a lot of my ideas are going to start with, um, it has to start at the sort of individual personal level. Um, I also work with a lot of, you know, quote unquote, powerful institutions. And I see people that have a lot of power and privilege and decision-making authority over millions of people that they will never meet. And I often think about how did you get to be this way? Seriously, like how, how do you feel good about taking some of these decisions that you're taking based on metrics such as value for money or uh, political prestige or what, you know? And so, and then I also work with folks in low wealth communities or in historically marginalized communities that often have such brilliant ideas and, you know, and, you know, so many social programs talk about empowering them, um, but in very, you know, kind of through trainings and sort of very like unhelpful ways. Um, and so I, I often come back to the individual and sort of, you know, how do we, how do we actually um, support and nurture individuals' imaginations and sense of self and sense of power? Um, and also 
check that where that may have sort of manifested in a way um, because they're products of our violent world that um, are no longer healthy or helpful for our collective well-being. So what that means then, I guess, in terms of um, policy, every child should learn in school, like who they are, um, where they come from and how their background and their place in the world intersects with those of others um, in the world. And so, you know, what is your lineage? Our histories need to be sources of reflection, of humility and of strength and of courage and of propellant energy to challenge and correct these injustices that we all have inherited because I think so many approaches are ahistorical and I think that's sort of where it starts. I think at a human level, I think we all need the support to nourish our bodies and our spirits. Um, so whether that's in, base, in terms of like basic food sustenance, you know, we all know we have enough food in the world to feed everybody. And yet so many people are still starving. So just, you know, basic like security needs. But then also we don't talk about spiritual needs enough. People talk about sort of mental health budgets, but almost like mental health is like a negative thing that you need to take care of. But how do we actually heal each other? You know, whether that's policies to support sort of spiritual well-being. Um, and then I think we re need really robust support for people that have had or are having their spirits crushed through like exploitative systems, because we can't talk about imagination without talking about how to like unlock all the ways that people are trapped. So through abuse, through exploitations, through carceral systems, through whatnot, I think these are very complex and structural and institutional manifestations of oppressive, greedy structures. And, you know, it's imperialism, it's patriarchy, it's white supremacy, we know all of this. So how do we help people get out? I've been involved and I am involved in legal battles, for example, where just being who I am, I can't get out of them because I don't have the money to pay for expensive lawyers to go through these fights. Um, And I'm one of sort of many, many people that sort of fight and, 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 I, and I look at legal structures and systems and who they serve and who they protect and who they don't. And I think these are huge barriers on people's ability to be free and to live in liberated ways and then contribute um, productively to collective imagination. So these are some things that come to mind. Thank you. Thank you, Panthea, for, for sharing that. And, and Cassie, what would you... Uh, what would you, where would you start? Again, I'm probably going to speak from quite a UK perspective. I don't know if that, I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> but that's just where I am right now. I, I mean, healing, passion that, but I, I do think we need to really resource a collective healing for what, what's happened in the past for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. I'm, you know, I'm really, interested in who should sit I guess with a, my funder hat on so what places I would start is is just trying to get on board lots more um funders to say this is the time to invest in this we are gonna just repattern old behaviors old practices old ways of doing if we don't try and like lay a different ground And I'm also really interested in the brands that are really already in the public consciousness and their role in this, which might sound a bit odd on one level, but I suppose I see a lot of interesting practices 
that can take people into embodied experiences and connect them to like wisdom or like retreats and all all these things that happen on the edges or in very much rooted in communities that have immense privilege or that use language and have barriers to them where like they're really woo woo or they're you know like the you know different and actually there's a lot of really amazing things within those communities that are really rich and really important at this time and so I'm really interested in in how do you mainstream them how do you bring them into the mainstream so that would be another thing I'm I would probably invest in I mean that's one of the reasons that I'm really interested in working at the National Lottery Community Fund because in every corner shop you've got the two finger logo and there's something about that everydayness of public consciousness that needs tapping into so I'm, I'm really interested in, in this idea of the general public and not these kind of niche or privileged groups that kind of take themselves off on retreats and do these great three-day practices and that most people just can't participate in and that would be one of my calls to other funders is like how are we going to invest in this so that it is very public and very mainstream Thank you. And I, is there something, if you were to think of the best examples, one of the best examples you've seen of, of good imagination infrastructure, what, what comes to mind? There's probably a lot of imagination infrastructure that I'm not aware of yet, that I'm on a journey of discovery to find, because I think there's a real danger with some of this. Well, danger's too strong, but I'm coming from a community or a network of kind of social innovation social justice kind of world and of course in arts the arts and culture community some of this is it's what they've done for for decades so I wouldn't want to say it doesn't already exist because I'm sure it does in many different forms in in recent times the stuff that's become visible to me is the new constellation work with Barrow as part of the Emerging Futures Fund, I think has started to show what it would look like to have that kind of infrastructure in place because of the partnership with the local authority, because the local authority have some resource um, and because they're thinking of a long-term time frame. But I don't, I don't know really of of like imagination infrastructure in the way I've described it earlier, I don't really see that. That's why I'm interested in this idea of imagination infrastructure because I feel like it's something to kind of make very explicit. Great, great. Thank you. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Barrow and um, for anyone listening who wants to find out a bit more about that, the um, the What Next Summit that was held recently with uh, by Transition Bounce Forward, if you look on YouTube for... Uh, New Constellation Barrow What Next Summit, you'll find a fascinating session that they ran at that summit all about Barrow. It was very, very powerful. Um, um, Panthea, what would your what would your thoughts be on, on something you've seen or experienced which feels like a really good example of imagination infrastructure? Yeah, kind of like uh, Cassie, I, I don't think I've seen one yet that encompasses all of these things that we're talking about um, and have some thoughts as to perhaps why, but I think that, so my so my home country, uh, Taiwan, I think is doing a lot of really fascinating work right now that 
may not be termed, I think, in the lexicon sort of that we're using of imagination infrastructure, but I do think is really fascinating and important. You know, for context, um, Taiwan went through 38 years of martial law, uh, the longest in the world before we were overtaken by Syria. And, um, and it is now going through a truth and reconciliation process that is sort of, you know, grueling and intimate and difficult, um, but I think in ways that are really sort of opening up ways for different generations to have conversations about the trauma that we've experienced, how we got to where we are, and then sort of what we do moving forward. I also think Taiwan is really interesting in that um, because it has been, um, I don't know, <laughs> abandoned, ignored, whatnot, by a lot of the international community um, because of, you know, concerns around China. Um, I think Taiwan has had to fend for itself in many ways in terms of how we create a new world. You know, um, we're not getting sort of international support or recognition from the bodies that say, this is how you do thing, OECD norms based on da-da-da-da-da. And so I think as a result of that, I think the activism movements there um, are really vibrant and there's not the same sort of activism and government divide that I think characterizes a lot of debates around sort of what the future could be. Activists sort of move in and out of government, I think, with greater ease and fluency. Now, it's also, you know, a relatively small country, um, but I think there is a sense of that we are all in this together. We are all interdependent. We are all connected. Our traumas are connected. Our liberation is connected. And we don't have a lot of, you know, again, sort of best practices and international norms and standards to sort of go on. And I think that just creates a different sort of type of dynamic and the type of conversations that are happening. Taiwan's also sort of used, I think, like technology and other things in interesting ways to bring everybody into the fold. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting and important example as well. Mm, thank you, wonderful. Yeah, I love that that idea of bridging the uh, activism and government divide is is fantastic. Cassie, did you want to come back in? I don't know why, but WikiHouse came to mind as a really small example in a way of, of course, that is on one level an imagination infrastructure it's it gives people the ability to create and imagine the kind of homes they might want to live in and then a way of trying to bring that imagination to life in a very tangible way and actually of course once you think about that as a potential imagination infrastructure there's probably many others that are examples like that and then i was also thinking well actually there's imagination infrastructure all around us. I'm currently sitting, looking out at the Brecon beacons in the National Park. And in a way, the canopies of trees, the hedgerows, the, the kind of natural world infrastructure through which we can draw so much intelligence and wisdom to feed our imaginations is, is there. And then lastly, I guess I have some belief with no scientific evidence at all for that but hopefully there is some somewhere so we can you know get it funded because that's what people tend to need I, I guess I really believe in in this idea that there is this in our collective consciousness there is already a collective imaginary that is just waiting to be more activated and you know I really like how Bill Sharp talks about the imaginal cells that we all already have, like we're already, everything we do is already in some way contributing to the future. So these imaginal cells 
that are just there in our consciousness that are connected to each other. It's just how we activate them more and how we connect them together more. So I recently read a beautiful biography of Tove Janssen, who wrote the Moomin books, which are one of some of my favourite books when I was a kid. And it was about her childhood with artist parents and a house full of endless artistic guests and visitors and paint and paper everywhere. I wonder for you both, what have been the imagination infrastructure during your life that's resulted in you being the imaginative folks uh, that you are today? Uh, Panthea, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I was a really dorky kid, um, <laughs> you know, so I think I just, I just, I, I read a lot. I, I, I spent a lot of time in, I mean, I was also like an immigrant kid that was kind of out of place. So I just spent a lot of time, I think, in like libraries, you know, um, and just, you know, I was like the eight-year-old that the librarians knew very, very well. And I spent a lot of time just reading and reading and reading. So because I was a really ugly kid, when people told my grandmother that I looked like her, um, she would like deny that I was her grandchild. It was, it was that bad. And so people would tell my, my, my mother that, um, well, if you can't have a kid that's beautiful on the outside, at least she'll be beautiful on the inside. So she took me to just see a lot of theater and plays and ballets and, you know, kind of just like tried to like make me sort of cultured, I guess. And I, and I, and since then I just, um, I spend a lot of my free time just like looking at art, um, being in galleries and going to museums. And I'm always fascinated by, you know, the, like a particular period that produced sort of certain pieces of art. Um, I did a lot of theater as a kid and just, you know, tried to express myself in different ways because life was like, you know, kind of wobbly, trying to find sort of liberatory spaces through, yeah, your imagination, you know, you might not be happy where you are, but you can, you can be another character or you can sort of travel in time and space um, through, through, through books. And I think that's always nurtured and uh, comforted me. For anyone listening about to become a grandparent, that's not the <laughs> best practice for grandparenting. Um, just a little uh, heads up there. Um, um, Cassie, uh, yourself? I think my imagination infrastructure growing up probably came from just never thinking that so much about the status quo made any sense at all. My parents divorced when I was four. And I think sort of slowly from that period onward, there was a lot about my life that didn't sit with the norms. And I think that like fracture away from the norms for which I'm very, very grateful actually on many levels just does make you start to question everything and then if things don't really make sense then I think you you can either fight that or feel frustrated by it or you can dream up and imagine what makes better sense like what what's the alternative and I I feel really lucky that I somehow became like the like that that's where I often found myself thinking and dreaming of like well this makes no sense or this makes me angry or this is just ridiculous or and I was often getting in trouble because I wasn't accepting of the things that didn't make any sense and yeah spent a lot of time imagining something better. Fantastic thank you both so 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 much I, I feel like this is episode 
25 of this podcast. I feel like every 25 episodes, maybe we should come back together and revisit this and see where, see how this concept of imagination infrastructure is evolving and what we've seen, because it, it feels like, it feels like what you've done, Cassie, is to kind of give a name to something that's kind of out there. The thing about an elephant, all the, the different people feeling different parts of an elephant, trying to figure out what it is, and you've and you've named it. And this has been such a fantastic exploration. And I think if we were to come back together again in a year and a half, two years, and and do this again, we'd 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 find that our thinking would have really evolved. So, thank you both so 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 much for joining me here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for for having us. So my thanks to my guests, Panthea and Cassie, to you for listening and to Ben Adicott, as always, for theme music and production. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.